You are listening to the Marketing Rescue Podcast, the weekly show where we take a look at some epic marketing failures, along with some pretty amazing brand rescues and comebacks. And now your hosts, Nico and Chad. Hey, Chad. Yeah. Do you believe that the 2020 elections were rigged? (laughs) Well, that's probably the (laughs) easiest one ever to answer. If we go off of the data and the evidence, they clearly were not rigged. I know, right? But there's a Ipsos poll that came out recently that showed about half of all Republicans believe that President Donald Trump rightfully, quote, unquote, won the U.S. elections, and it was stolen from him by widespread word of fraud and favored Democratic President-elect Joe Biden. Mm-hmm. So if you talk about evidence and you talk about facts, why why does that exist? Just explain it to me. Why, why are there so many people that still believes that it was rigged? Well, I don't think we have any episodes long enough to really <laughs> unpack that. <laughs> I don't think our listeners want to get into a 16-hour episode, but... It's a huge problem, and I think we can definitely say that 2020 is like the year of the conspiracy. Yeah. And also, as much as we have tried to not be political on this show, we just kind of like crashed right through that barrier. (laughs) (laughs) But I'm not being political. There's a reason why I'm going down this train of thought. The point that I'm trying to make is... Conspiracy theories are something that a lot of people thrive on. They live for us. Just before we started recording, we were saying that they enjoy the tension and mystery that they create themselves. And the election is just one of those things. I mean, there's some really crazy things out there. And I'm not saying what people believe are crazy. I'm just saying there are things that has been debunked that people still believe that are crazy. You know what I mean? It's interesting. So, I mean, we are going to be talking about a conspiracy theory today, and that's why we set it up that way. And there are a lot of different types of conspiracy theories out there. Just to name a few, plenty of people believe that there's more to the assassination of JFK. And you know, Area 51, right? There was, I think, Was it this year that they all wanted to storm it? (laughs) Just like a movement on Facebook? I think that was last year. Last year, yeah. yeah. This year just feels like one long weekend, right? (laughs) Right. But it's a military installation in the Nevada desert. And a lot of people believe that the U.S. military experiments with aliens and their spacecrafts inside this Area 51. Mm. And there's actually an entire tourism industry in Roswell, New Mexico, built around this conspiracy. So these things exist. I mean, these are real things that people really, really believe. There was a whole group of people that stormed the local government building in Salem, armed to the teeth, trying to take the governor prisoner in Oregon. These people, they act on their conspiracies, right? It's just fascinating stuff to me how people believe this stuff. Yeah, and there's kind of this spectrum of conspiracies that are more just like unsolved mysteries and people kind of like pontificate around it and Mm -hmm. say, oh, you know, it could be this or it could be that. And and that's one thing. And then there's another flavor to it. The other end of that spectrum is actively believing in things that are maybe you could say delusional or there's just absolutely no basis in reality for it. Zero facts around them. Yeah. Like Bigfoot. Yeah. This has been 
Decades, centuries. <laughs> the Loch Ness Monster, right? I mean, just how popular can Bigfoot be? Well, as of November 2020, there have been 2,032 reported sightings of Bigfoot wow. in Washington state alone. Wow. So what these three conspiracy theories have in common is that they have nothing to do with marketing. <laughs> <laughs> or do they? <laughs> Sure, there are shows about Bigfoot and Area 51 and specials about the... I'm sure there are more shows about those than there are about marketing. <laughs> probably, that probably, yeah. <laughs> On Netflix, at least. Yeah. But none of these things are companies, right? They're not businesses. So yeah. it's not very likely that very many people would ever guess that corporate marketing and conspiracy theories would ever have anything very significant in common. Mm-hmm. Those people may not have heard of a company called CSN Stores. Well, let me tell you a little bit more about the CSN Store. You might have heard about them. And if you have not heard about them, then that's okay. You're not alone. But if that's the case, you're probably also wondering why is this so interesting? Well, let me remind you that most of the best conspiracy theories start with something that is an acronym. Mm. Think CIA. JFK, UFO, AQAnon, <laughs> it's all acronyms, man. <laughs> and that's how I'm tying it back to marketing. Okay. <laughs> no, no, no. But to briefly acquaint ourselves with CSN stores, it's a American e-commerce company specializing in sales of furniture and other home goods. And it sounds dull and suburban at first, I know that, but then again, Sarah Paulson's character in Ocean's 8 was also dull. And the CSN stores was founded in 2002, and the name derived from the combination of two founders' initials, Nirja Shah and Steve Conan. The then two-person company was first headquartered in Conan's home nursery in Boston, Massachusetts. Despite their makeshift start before creating CSN stores, Shaw and Conan had previously run two companies, Simplify Mobile and IXL, a global consulting firm. Shaw and Conan both held Bachelor of Science degrees from Cornell University. Mm-hmm. And CSN stores did well in the beginning. In 2006, the company earned $100 million in sales. And between 2007 and 2010, it expanded in the United States and in international markets. And in 2008, Boston Business Journal ranked CSN stores as the number one fastest growing private e-commerce company in Massachusetts and the number four fastest growing private company overall. Wow. Yeah. it's pretty good. Yes. So they definitely outgrew Conan's Nursery. And in 2010, the company relocated its headquarters to 177 Huntington Avenue in Boston, where they occupied 10 floors. But by 2011, Sean Conan decided to rebrand CSN stores. Mm-hmm. So at this point, the CSN stores owned over 200 online shops, most of which were niche shops for specific products like cookware.com and everyatomicclock.com and strollers.com and so on. So the goal of the rebranding was to redirect all the traffic to a single site and unify the company's brand, right? Makes perfect sense. Sure. And one of the major ways they accomplished this was by changing the company's name from CSN to Wayfair. Mm -hmm. Now everybody knows what we're talking about. Yes. (laughs) So a marketing episode about conspiracy theories. Nope, not really. 
And now that we mentioned Wayfair, I'm sure now the listeners who followed the news this summer may have an idea what we're talking about. And if not, sit tight, we'll tell you in a minute. After the name change, the company was able to raise $165 million in funding in June of 2011 from four different investment firms. And then on September 1st, 2011, Wayfair.com was launched. And if there was any evidence as to how effective a name change in a consolidated website could be, it would be Wayfair's annual revenue stats. So in 2011, the company generated over $500 million in revenue. Sure. 2012, $600 million. 2013, 900. 2014, 1.4 billion. 2015, 2.25 billion. 2016, 3.4. And then in 2017, 4.7 billion dollars. Wow. So by January 2014, Wayfair was the largest online retailer for home furniture in the U.S. and the 33rd largest online retailer in general in the U.S. Yeah, and I was just about to say this is recent, right? This is post Amazon.com years. You know what I mean? That's really good. Right. Nearly $5 billion in 2017. That's amazing. (laughs) Yeah, they've had massive success and they've maintained their popularity in many ways. One of which included spending more than 500 million on advertising in 2017 and even more on advertising again the next year. So they've become a behemoth and they're spending like it. Yeah. So as part of their 2018 advertising, the company hosted its first Wayday sale on April 25th, 2018. And compared to an average day in March, sales quadrupled and the number of unique buyers on Wayday also rose nearly 400% compared to March's average, according to the report from an analytics firm called Edison Trends. However, not everything at Wayfair was fair as it seemed. Mm. Well, according to a marketing professor at Emory University, the company was still losing $10 for every new customer acquisition. Sounds kind of reminiscent of like Amazon or... Yeah, I was about to say, Amazon didn't make money for the first 20 years, right? So that's normal. Yeah, nothing out of the ordinary there. On December 13th, 2018, in what is one of the largest tax breaks ever awarded by the state. This also sounds kind of like something Amazon would (laughs) be able to wheel and deal on. Yeah, that was the tax break for the middle class, wasn't it? Yes, I believe so. (laughs) (laughs) The Massachusetts Economic Assistance Coordinating Council approved a 31.4 million tax break for Wayfair in exchange for a pledge to increase their hiring by at least 3,000 in Boston and 300 jobs at a new call center in Pittsfield. However, there was an employee walkout a few months later on June 26th of 2019, and that all happened because there was a protest of Wayfair's contract with BCFS, which stands for Baptist Child Family Services. Mm-hmm. And this contract essentially was to sell beds to their temporary migrant detention camps and minor detention centers. Oh dear, that's a bad connotation, right? It's highly controversial. Yeah. I'll put it that way. Wayfair leadership responded to the walkout and indicated that they would not terminate the order. And Wayfair also indicated that they would not donate the profit from the order, about $86,000 to charity, as the employee's letter to senior management had requested. Hey, wait to like listen to your staff and double down on <laughs> what do you believe in, right? Go management. I mean, that's 
That's very ballsy. Clearly, they're trying to make a point here because $86,000 in the scheme of a $4.7 billion company to keep your employees happy and squash a potential PR nightmare, it's nothing. Yeah, if only they pulled that aggression from a PR standpoint through the rest of the story that's about to happen. Mm -hmm. And on February 13th, 2020, the company announced a layoff of 550 employees or about 3% of their global workforce, right? It shows you how big they are. The headquarters in Boston accounted for 350 of these employees that they let go. Employees were notified of the layoff by Chief Executive Shah himself by email, and I quote here, on reflection, this last period of investment went on too long, and we find ourselves in a place where we are, from an execution standpoint, investing in too many disparate areas with an uneven quality of speed of execution. Which Fair enough. I understand that. So as of 2020, Wayfair has yet to show a profitable quarter. So some people might still be stuck with the name change thing, and what are we talking about? you might be wondering, why did Wayfair even change the name? And not for any particular reason. It was chosen by a branding agency, and Wayfair is a simple combination of two words that tested really good in focus groups. Sure. So there's no real name behind it. Sure. But are you sure about that, though? I don't know. Like, are you sure you know that Wayfair doesn't mean anything besides just pulling those two words apart? It's way, like, very much, and fair, like, it's equitable, right? So, yeah. well, if you're still wondering what Wayfair means, if it means anything at all, keep listening. Because after all, as of June 2020, anything to do with Wayfair and names is absolutely suspicious. Are you telling me it's a code name? Well, I could tell you, but I'd have to kill you. <laughs> <laughs> Thank goodness we're in different states. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, James Bond is not making an appearance on our show. But names are what led people to believe that Wayfair was part of a human trafficking ring. Wow. Yep. This is where it gets juicy. So claims of Wayfair's human trafficking first appeared on June 14th in 2020, having originated in the QAnon community. It started when a well-known activist tweeted about the high price of storage cabinets being sold online by Wayfair. They went on to point out that the cabinets were, quote, all listed with girls' names. Other users then began alleging that the pieces of furniture were named after girls because they actually had children hidden inside the cabinet as part of a supposed child trafficking ring. So you buy the cabinet and then it ships via you know, UPS or FedEx, you know, slow boat from China, wherever. And then a week later, you open it up and there's a child inside. <laughs> <laughs> Aren't most of Wafer's products shipped with assembly required anyway? <laughs> and people weren't just talking about the cabinets. Wayfair sells personalized pillows, some of which are at the time priced for $10,000, and users began to believe that the price was so high because the pillow involved the trafficking of a child. So AQAnon followers continue to make supposed links between the fact that some of these prices of Wayfair's furniture are expensive and named after girls, the names of whom match actual cases of missing children in the US. However, some of the, quote, connected children were no longer missing. And one woman who was mentioned when a cabinet with her name was linked to her alleged disappearance as a teenager, she actually did a Facebook Live 
refuting these claims. And she said that she never actually went missing in the first place. Ay, ay, ay. But see, those type of things, they just ignore. You know what I mean? The QAnon followers will just ignore that Facebook Live thing and they'll just call that fake. Or they'll just say that that was an actor or the company's behind that or so on, you know? Well, in just about any sport, if you go 0 for 100, that's not a very good record. And you might want to kind of like reconsider whether or not that's the sport for you. So Mm -hmm. it is a little bit difficult for me to understand how that self-reflection is not taking place about your record of accuracy with these predictions. But as somebody who has worked on a variety of different e-commerce campaigns, one of the things that happens when you have really large websites like a Wayfair, these big e-commerce sites with thousands, if not millions of products is there's no way for you to manually operate a website with that many products. Yeah. So there's a lot of algorithms and automation, especially as it relates to price. You'll constantly have these variables coming into the system in terms of availability, demands, shipping costs. Storage costs, exactly. So you have all these calculations that are being ran and then prices get updated on an automatic basis instantly. There's nobody touching them. It's all done through algorithms. Now, what can happen is if you're not tending that and if you're not going through your product lists and double checking, oh, what has the algorithm over the last few years done to my product list? at the top and at the bottom, you'll quickly start to find products that are placed way out of whack because you haven't been pulling the weeds in your garden, so to speak. And so this kind of stuff actually, in terms of exorbitant pricing and that kind of stuff, is actually a fairly frequent and common occurrence on large e-commerce sites. You can go to Amazon and see the same thing, products that are just priced all over the place. Walmart. Amazon ships kids? What's this? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> We're not putting those two things together. No. No, no, no. Okay, okay, I got it. We're not making that connection. No, 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 no. We're breaking that connection. So, gotcha. long story short, Wayfair claims the astronomical pillow prices were a glitch. Which is fair. <laughs> it happens. Mistakes can be made. Yes. And that's when QAnon activists started to put a new theory forward. Mm-hmm. They said that after they put what's called the SKU number that's like at the bottom of your barcode, that's a stock keeping unit number of specific Wayfair products into Yandex, which is the major search engine in Russia. It's the Google of Russia. When they did that, images of young women would appear in the search results. Interesting. And they actually were right about that. So putting Wayfair products SKU numbers into Yandex did return image results of young women. The explanation for which basically just came down to is just not a well-maintained element of the search engine. It's just glitches in the search engine. You type in a number and it returns some fairly random results. It just hadn't been trained. Well, if it kicked back pictures of little girls, I don't blame them. You're starting to convince me that this was true. Mm. Keep on talking. Well, in fact, Newsweek reported that a Yandex search for quote, any random string of numbers <laughs> would return the same results. So they took a random number generator yeah. and 
plug that into Yandex search results. And, you know, it could be that there's just a numerical system assigned to images in their search index. And that's how it was being pulled up. <laughs> it could like literally be as simple as that. And so that's an issue that Yandex seems to have corrected now as similar searches no longer return images of young women. Good. I'm sure they were very thankful for AQAnon for helping them out. And despite any and all of the debunking that you just talked about, the digital wildfire had spread. I mean, this is what happens with these things, right? The buzz may have started in the US and it didn't take long for these theories to become like a global trend. There are Reddit boards about trafficking conspiracies. According to Facebook-owned social media analytical tool CrowdTangle, as of June 2020, <laughs> the term Wayfair generated 4.4 million engagements on Instagram, promoted more than 12,000 posts, and a nearly a million direct engagements on Facebook. And BBC monitoring analysis showed that the theory also gained a huge traction in Turkey, which is the second highest amount of content after the US. Meanwhile, in Latin America, a YouTube post about the conspiracy by a popular Argentinian YouTube personality got nearly 90,000 views on a single weekend about this conspiracy theory. So why don't you tell us a little bit about their response, or should I rather say their lack of their response? <laughs> well, as far as their response goes, Wayfair kept it short and simple. They came to their own defense saying, quote, there is, of course, no truth to these claims. And for Wayfair, their rather kind of like unenthusiastic defense, they just didn't really like make any sort of big deal about it. Child sex trafficking misinformation has been a central theme among QAnon's conspiracy theorists. It's actually become a really big problem that government agencies have come out and said this kind of misplaced focus is actually hurting their efforts to combat legitimate trafficking cases. And it's also reminiscent of Pizzagate. That's the problem. Online conspiracy theories gets pulled into reality and it can actually be harmful to innocent bystanders. And that's exactly what Pizzagate was, right? Didn't somebody with a gun run into Comet Pizza store because there was going to be a democratic sex ring sunning kids or something? So it was back in 2016. And this conspiracy theory, which also came out of these same groups, alleged that Hillary Clinton, who was then, of course, at that time, the Democratic presidential nominee, and her aides were involved with a child sex trafficking ring at a pizza restaurant in Washington called Comet Ping Pong. That's it. Yep. I remember. And so that Pizzagate theory eventually inspired this armed man to enter Comet Ping Pong in search of non-existent children that were being trafficked and hidden in the basement. And there was no basement in this place. And it was an extremely dangerous situation. Yeah. And so these conspiracy theories haven't just affected Wayfair or the Democrats or Hillary Clinton. Even celebrities like Hillary Duff and Oprah Winfrey have had to publicly deny QAnon false claims that they were involved in child sex trafficking. And we saw a number of situations recently with the election where there were people who were placed into very significant danger because of these types of things. And this is not to pick on QAnon, although it's a easy target. I think to kind of get back to your question at the beginning, there is a big 
problem, I think, right now with not only the inability in our culture to understand like the importance of evidence for spreading things. I mean, we've just seen that in like 2020 in general and over the last 10 years, that building, but also just the ability to understand that some evidence, even if there is some, is more credible than other evidence and that there needs to be a process for determining the credibility of evidence. And that's how a lot of these things get started is that people will get kind of a nugget, a half-truth, or something that seems like it could be. And so that is a little bit of evidence, but it's pretty weak and usually very not credible. And there are ways to debunk it. But the evidence is very much to what you just said about putting the skew into a search engine. And the search engine has a glitch that any random numbers will pull up pictures of girls. Right. Right. So that's the evidence. The starting points, the foundation of the conspiracy theory is sometimes a little bit off. And then it's the whole social dilemma, like the movie, where it talks about how you see more of what you believe in and all of a sudden it spirals out of control. Let's talk about the real issue here. So in 2020 may seem like a year that will never end. I was just saying to Megan, my wife, yesterday that for the first time this year, I really feel like I'd like pandemic fatigue. Mm. It's starting just to like wear on me. You know what I mean? And I think it's because of the news that I just discovered a different strain in South Africa and in England that's 70% more contagious and so on. It is just like, it's not stopping. This year is just not going to ever end. And it might be easy to forget that June and the accusations against Wayfair is not that long ago. It's just six <laughs> months ago, right? Yeah. So much has happened since then. Yeah. Meaning it's hard to get the full picture of how the conspiracy theory affected Wayfair. This is still very recent. And there might not have been a lot of factual evidence to back up the validity of these claims. But we do know that rumors like these can hurt a brand's reputation if left unaccounted for. Sure. And unaccounted for Wayfair ultimately left it. Still, QAnon rumors and rumors like them have been debunked over and over again and again. This leaves the real issue, which seems to be the questions of stuff like, where does the information like this begin? Or how should a brand like Wayfair go about handling these rumors? And fortunately, communications expert and chair of the Florida International University Department of Communication, Aileen Esquerdo, and I'm sure I'm butchering that, has an answer. And according to Esquerdo, if organizations are interested in good brand management, they need to be proactive and stop rumors in their tracks. And to do this, companies should do the four following things. And this is like for any marketer, common sense. Have members of your team actively monitor social media platforms. Look for repeating comments. Identify conversations about certain products. And lastly, become aware of any overall buzz starting up about their organization online. And that sounds common sense for you and me and any other marketer, but on the show, we've talked so many times that so many companies just don't do that. And this is starting to lean a little bit towards Wayfair. We're a little bit late to the game to address this. And I think it's still going to hurt them a little bit in the future. I mean, certainly social listening is a blocking and tackling exercise at this point in technological development. Any major brand needs to be involved in social listening and in moderation. And, you know, you can make the argument, it's so ridiculous that why should we even give it any oxygen? Yeah. But you can also make the argument that by not 
taking an active stance and not correcting misinformation. And I think that's exactly what Wayfair did here. They didn't want to give it even the, that's a great quote, the oxygen for this. But I think they have to. As a big company, when this stuff comes out and you've got a whole massive subset of the population fueling this, you need to address it. Right. Because if misinformation is allowed to spread unchecked, the problem is, is that even though it will get debunked and even though it will die out and even though it'll be subsumed by the next faux scandal in the 24-hour news cycle, yeah. many people are never exposed to those debunkings. And so there's this long catalog of disproven conspiracy theories that many people still believe months and years after they've been completely and thoroughly debunked because they just haven't been exposed to that information. And there's a compounding effect in that that furthers the propensity to buy into those types of kind of delusional thinking. And it worked out okay for Wayfair in this case, but according to Iscuerto, letting outlets speak for your company and just letting it play out in the media, it's not always the best tactic, not only for the reasons that we just talked about, but also because sometimes these things can get resurrected and they can come back and don't always get completely squashed. Mm-hmm. So this is all very interesting and very fun. <laughs> but from a marketing perspective, <laughs> let's bring it home a little bit. Yeah. So what have we learned here besides the fact that we shouldn't spend any time on 4chan? What is your takeout from all this? Or parlor. <laughs> or parlor. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, a little bit tongue in cheek. Don't give your products human names if you don't have to. <laughs> Apparently it can save you a little bit of time and trouble. <laughs> But in all seriousness, more and more businesses are dependent on technology these days. We all are from an automation perspective in marketing. And so it's so important to schedule and plan for that regular maintenance, to do regression testing, to check for any kinds of glitches where you fix one thing and it breaks another, and really just to kind of maintain your systems now, I'm sure that Wayfair had no idea that by accidentally overpricing a product that it would have spiraled into something like a trafficking accusation. But regardless, it's just good business practice to be on top of what you're doing. So it's just the equivalent of sweeping the floor of a physical store in your actual like business location. Yeah, it's super important that we need to do that. I couldn't agree more, but it is kind of sad that we live in a society that if you don't do that, then you get tagged as a child trafficking e-commerce website. <laughs> you know, rolling with the punches doesn't really have to be the same thing as taking a hit. Speak up for yourself and your company and listen to what consumers are saying about you. And being silent only really adds to the mystery, especially in 2020 and 2021 to come. And that's the thing. A lot of companies ride the wave of negative publicity, thinking that it'll be worth the additional awareness. It always comes back to bite you. There are some things that from a moral perspective, like in this instance, where legitimate resources can be redirected into wasteful pursuits, that I think there's a responsibility to say and do the right things and to take a forceful stand on the right and the wrong ways to battle the actually horrible problem of child trafficking. 
Well said, Chad. All right, let's wrap it up there. Thanks, everybody. Speak to you guys next week. You've been listening to the Marketing Rescue Podcast. This show is hosted by Nico Katsia and Chad Childress, the co-founders of KPI Agency, a marketing rescue agency. Be sure to visit marketingrescuepodcast.com to join the conversation, access the show notes, contact the hosts, and discover fantastic bonus content.